Hello, and welcome to Jam Presents, a podcast series by me, Mike Groves, and a good mate of mine, Jason Cripps. In this second series of Jam Presents, we play The Murder Game, a 2003 murder mystery reality TV show from the BBC. This accompanying podcast will break down each episode of The Murder Game as Jason and I follow the journey of 10 investigators as they try to catch a killer in the fictional town of Blackwater. Each episode of The Murder Game is available on YouTube, so if you haven't already, go and watch episode 5 now. In this episode, we find out the murder weapon, interview some eyewitnesses, and find a dead baby in a cupboard. The Murder Game episode 5. For the purposes of this episode, we will attempt not to mention how much the voiceover guy and Chief Bob annoy us. That's a given, and we've mentioned it a thousand times already, and I'm getting really fed up of editing the audio of us complaining about it so much. As a recap, we are reminded that there are seven remaining suspects following last week's episode, where Vanessa was cleared for having a solid alibi, being in the pharmacy at the time of Catherine's murder. There are also seven remaining investigators, only two of whom are women, following Sam's departure last week. Tension is rising more than ever. Mel mentions that she didn't walk into certain rooms because of how the atmosphere has changed. Mervyn comments on saying it's becoming personal. Yeah, mate, because you sent Sam to her death last week after stitching her up. No wonder it's becoming Oh, and it was an absolute massive stitch up, wasn't it? It really was. This is it. It was like, um, there was no reason, well, I think we, we addressed it. There's no reason for him to send her. No, because he caused her to fail that task. Yeah. So I think it's just because he probably didn't have the bottle to send anyone else. It wasn't long before I got really angry. The murder weapon is brought up and is revealed as a pair of navigational dividers. Hold on a minute. Is this the first time we, we learn this? So we've seen clips of it before. We saw the boys that Bob sent in. Oh, in the lake, in the in the swamp, whatever. That, that's right, yeah. But Chief Bob gave the group shit for bringing a garden trowel back. Yeah. Is accepting that it's a pair of navigational dividers. Mm-hmm. Like, a garden trowel found in every single shed in the UK against a pair of navigational dividers. It's very uh, bespoke, is, isn't it? Only like, someone navigating the fucking sea would have. Yeah, it's not like they've mi- they missed out on a knife or a, a gun. And didn't Chief Bob say, in all my years of investigating, I've never seen anyone attack anyone with a... Yeah, but, but I mean, th- there must be loads of navigational divider murders that we just don't know about. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised there's not a special on Netflix already. Yeah, It started me- to make me think that Creepy George was, a, you know, now the main suspect because he's got the boat. Completely forgot, though, that Jay Wilmington's got one as well. We were also reminded of the coat found in a tree covered in blood, which points the finger at Tina Wells as her wedding invite was in the pocket. Finally, we are shown footage of the terrible press conference from last week, but has actually brought forward some witnesses, which will lead to a track in this week's episode. At the morning briefing, Bob tells them who Sam voted for to be the next lead investigator in her last will and testament. She chooses Mel and also tells the group in her video that she is unhappy that she was chosen to play the killer's game. This leads to a bit of tension again between the group as Mel, Mervyn and even Rory express their opinions. The killer clue that Andrew brought back was a birth certificate, weirdly handled by Chief Bob. The killer clue seems to point towards a birth. (laughs) What? Yeah, yeah, it's a birth certificate, Bob. The murder weapon is discussed and we are reminded that Jay Wilmington lives on a boat and has some navigational equipment. This is okay. It's it's so pushed towards Jay. Yeah, he's not the only one with a boat. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Also, Jay has got a barge which tends to just go on canals and stuff. Would he need maps as much as oh, someone like surely it's just George lives on the sea? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I promise I wouldn't moan as much in this episode, but already they're testing my patience. <laughs> I would have preferred the garden trowel. They then discuss the bloodstained coat. It suggested that it could have been used to carry the murder weapon. Could it have been Tina or could someone have used her coat to conceal the weapon? 
three lines of inquiry are opened up. One, go and see Tina and ask about the coat. Mel chooses Merrill and Nick for this task. Two, interview the witnesses who came forward following the press conference. Mel chooses Richard and Rory to take on this task. Chief Bob tells them there are three people who claim to have seen Catherine at exactly the same time, but in three different places. Only one of them can be correct. And then three, we are left with Andrew and Mervyn, who need to go and see Jay Wilmington to learn more out about the sodding navigational dividers. So with Mel being the lead investigator, do you think those teams were planned? Because I think they were. Yes, I did absolutely think Because that. I, th- I, th- I think that she obviously put um, Meryl and Nick together, because if anything, they're the better two. They're the best two, in, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you had, you do have them Rory and Richard, which are like very annoying. And I think she might have done that on purpose because it'll test Richard's nerve and patience with someone as bad as Rory. Yeah. So yeah, I do think... But then you had had, uh, Andrew and Mervyn. And she's got a vendetta against Mervyn at this point because of how he... Mm -hmm was previously and knowing that Andrew's the weakest person there so she's almost set them up to fail yeah or tried to give it the best odds to fail yeah we've not mentioned this so far in the series but before the investigations begin Chief Bob's got a little catchphrase oh I wrote this down I wrote it down suspect everyone trust no one well no it's suspect the seven yeah well that's what I've put it bothers me a bit because we only need to suspect seven people Oh, it just, it just made me laugh. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? Andrew comments on how much tension there is in the house. Mel blames Mervyn for this. I think Mel mentions how much there is like inside jokes and how she feels quite excluded from that. Yeah, she's left out. And completely. it's in this. I mean, later in the episode, you see how bad it gets. Mm. But I mean, what 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 is shown is, um, I think it's all the all the men there are just laughing and saying, you know, one or two things, and it's it's obviously about Mel. She must feel so like victimized. Yeah, it is. It is horrendous. Like, horrend- it is so bad. I really hate it. It's, it's, it's horrible to watch. Especially the briefings later on. Because how old is she? Tw- she's 21, isn't she? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they should these... know better. Oh, 100%. So track one, Meryl and Nick go to see Tina. Meryl in a cutaway says that Tina is a wretched woman. <laughs> they really don't like going to see her, do they? But testament to Tina as, a, as an actress, like she's done really well to make people hate her she sort of annoys me i don't know if it's an actress thing or a character thing but everything is like a stress for her everything's just and and the way she is and she's so on edge all the time panicky she's trying to get the conversation over with she's always got somewhere else to go you know what i know it annoys you and it annoys me but i still think credit to the actress she is playing that well Um, and the fact that the investigators are really scared to go and see her is fantastic obviously maybe the sign of the times a little bit but her phone rings and yeah. she answers it like she's off of um, she's dom jolly off of trigger happy tv hello 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 tina tells them that Catherine had told her something about the wilmington house a few weeks before she had died something along the lines of alice's room on the first floor she'd gone into the room and seen something that was going to change everything now mate this is getting really exciting mm-hmm. it also makes me think is anyone else going to die in this? Well, uh, yeah, and that's that's why I really hope it does lead to another death. But mm. if it doesn't, I think we'll end up being a bit disappointed that it hasn't led to more sinister or a more sinister storyline. I know we get to the dead baby at the end, which, geez, I mean, it goes from naught to 100. But equally, I hope there's more people that fall yeah. foul of the killer. It needs to be a scary storyline rather than it just being one person died because they stumbled upon some information about a kid that was born in the 1950s or I don't know. 
Before Tina can leave, Meryl asks her about the red coat found in the tree. Tina says she keeps it in the church. Again, I really love this. I'm actually well, in, well into the episode at this point and starting to enjoy the show way more than I had over the you know previous four episodes. Although at the time of writing this, I've ha- had two glasses of wine. So perhaps that's <laughs> now the way I need to, to view it, to enjoy it. Tina buggers off on her bike saying the coat is still in the vestry. For those non-churchgoers listening, the vestry is a room in a church that people put clothes in. What, a closet then? Just a posh, <laughs> yeah. religious well, I, closet? I thought it might have just been like, you know, the archway where you first walk in and there's like a few benches and some hooks either side. But no, apparently there's a dedicated room to clothing called the vestry. I think the pair did well here. I think Nick and Meryl did, did quite well considering how much they hate Tina. Yeah, but um, Meryl has a good episode. Yeah, no, well, after the last one, she's had two in a row now. Yeah. Smashing it. Track two, before we go into this track, I was really keen to see how Peter Perfect, I mean Richard Sharrix, Peter Perfect. <laughs> and the spitting, swearing Rory perform together. But there is definitely one scene, isn't there, that he, he's just dribbling, I swear, something's <laughs> come out of his mouth. It's just a bit, bit gross, isn't he? They head off to meet the witnesses, who all claim to have seen Catherine at the same time in three different places. I feel that Richard might be good at this because of how uncomfortable he can make people when pushing for an answer. Does Rory say, she's fine? Yes. Yeah, he looks out the window and she says, oh, she's fine. She's fine. I said, I... Rory's having a bit of a perv out the window. <laughs> Just, I mean, oh, he's not dated very well, has it? So Jeez. professional. Oh, my God. Zoe is the first witness. She works in the supermarket near the high street. Apparently, Zoe served her, Catherine at the 10 items or less till, and she had more than 10 items. We're not going to comment on how it should be the 10 items or fewer. Anyway, Zoe mentions the bag, the checkbook and the pen that Catherine used. And Sharrix and Rory will need to validate this against the video that Dean shot in the church and the belongings mentioned in the pathologist report. The second witness is Mary Jane Thornton. She stopped at a newsagent and saw a woman of that description. She mentioned that her and Catherine had a joke about wearing glasses, but... As we mentioned in episode two, Catherine wore contact lenses. I bloody knew it would come back. The third and final witness is Edward Green. Probably the best actor we've seen on the whole just show. Just brilliant, is he not? This is 100% <laughs> he should be just the main role of this. So he mentions Jim, his next door neighbour, and talks about drilling. Hey, up. Anyway, his story's mental. Mentions a brown check shirt in a phone, in a phone box and the Thunderball. Holy shit. <laughs> Thunderball, I've completely forgot about Thunderball. It's all noise, although the actor's brilliant. I love how he's just he's just wasting their time. I reckon he went on for about half an hour before yeah. he got to the point that he needed to. I went for a walk because he's drilling. It was just driving me mad. So I went out about what? Half past 11, I suppose. Um, I always phone my sister, my sister Alison. She lives in Ipswich. Mm-hmm. I always phone her at lunchtime. But the, um, the phone box that was occupied, right. a guy in there with a brown check shirt, I recognised the shirt because I had one given to me at Christmas mm. like that. He said he saw a car door slam by the side of All Saints Church, a navy blue Volvo estate. The woman who slammed the door was arguing with another woman in the car. The woman driving the car was described as around 45 with dark hair, swept up like Princess Diana. <laughs> and I couldn't, like, I know this ends up being Jennifer, but Jennifer does not have Princess Diana hair. You know, I thought that. I thought, who is having, who's got this hair? And then I started thinking, am I, like, recalling Princess Diana having completely different hair at this point? <laughs> you know, you've got, you got a, a picture in your head of one of, like... Yeah. The, the most famous royal princess and her hair's changing in my head <laughs> as he's talking. 
Track three, Mervyn and Andrew head to see Jay Wilmington about the dividers and face a test. They need to ensure they don't reveal anything about the murder weapon to him. This is really weird. So the voiceover tells us that they need to not reveal anything about the murder weapon, but they give him the murder weapon. Don't just give him a set of dividers. They give him a set of dividers in what seems to be a pastry or cake box. In a presentation <laughs> box. That Yeah, it looks like you get... It's actually folding in on itself. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were going to beat around the bush and try to look around his boat or something like that. But no, they just hand him the dividers. And they say, oh, what do you know about these? And he's asking why. And I mean, they're not far away from just saying, yeah, this is what you got killed with. It's blatantly the murder weapon. And then he's like, oh, they're mine because they've got a distinct mark in, I remember. Yeah, he, he says that they're his. He normally keeps them with his maps and hasn't seen them for a few days. Whilst I'm not a fan of Mervyn at the moment, I feel he does well questioning Jay there. Andrew asks whether they've always been his. And he's, he's always been yours, Jay. I don't, I, I'm not sure Andrew knows what's going on. He confused Vanessa last week with the question around her thing with Dean. And now he's saying, oh, if these, if these always been yours, what, as if someone else owned them and they've gone back onto his boat to get them back? I yeah. think he's looking into it a bit too much. I've put hurrah, one of the actors is driving a boat. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to though. He's just going <laughs> to see. I have to rescue him after that. Yeah, he was just told, oh, pull the ripcord as though he was starting it up. Because he, he looks behind and there's actually, that's just fear. <laughs> he doesn't know how he's driving. <laughs> They've turned the sound off, but he's like, fucking help me. <laughs> you can't hear it over the engine. That afternoon, we're back at HQ. Andrew's asleep on the sofa at 3.45pm. Richard and Andrew have now dismissed the first two witnesses based on the contact lenses we mentioned previously and Dean's video showing that Catherine is left-handed, which must have been different to how she was described by the first witness. Richard goes on about how good an investigator he is. Yeah. And how it, they can't have failed that task. This is what I must have done, because I said Mel laughs. Uh, it was so easy. Yeah. I think it cuts to Mel and she does a little chuckle to herself. She doesn't know how, she doesn't know what the interview process was like, but the fact he's going back and bragging of how good an investigator he is, it's ridiculous. That night they're having dinner and the atmosphere is tense. Andrew eases it by asking what they'd all like to do, given the choice. Rory says he wants to be a porn star. Mel wants to be a pop star. And Andrew, I mean, Andrew's a weirdo, but fair play. He does do a really good auctioneer impression. I really yeah, like does. that. Yeah. Do I see five, five, six on bed on the left hand side, six on bed? Do I see seven? I have six on the left. Do I see seven, seven? I'm in fresh blood early. Do I see nine? I love you one here. Do I see ten? I'm in ten. Do I see one? Yes or no? They get a phone call. It's Tina Wells. She's at the vicarage and says that she heard something in the graveyard when she was putting out the bins. Meryl and Nick are sent to investigate. Yes, a bit of excitement. Both are really nervous about what they might find and neither are looking forward to seeing Tina twice in one day. <laughs> it's just really funny how much they hate Tina. Yeah, and you can see that in the back of the, the back of the Land Rover. They yeah. both look at each other just like, what are we doing? I hate this. They get into the graveyard and Catherine's grave, which is ready for the funeral tomorrow, has been filled. Echoes of murder in Small Town X here mm -hmm. as they find themselves digging a grave to see what's inside. It's quite far down as well. Yeah, and Nick says, Oh, I hope we don't find a bit of Christine. <laughs> <laughs> Call back to a previous contestant. They are also extremely nervous, or they hear things in the bushes. It's probably just the cameraman, or perhaps that espionage bloke having a shit in a bucket somewhere. <laughs> in a bag, he's banging it up. I thought that I thought that was good though. Yeah, because we also see the green night vision footage, don't we? Yeah, yeah. But also, they're both absolutely shitting it. One thing that I realised at that point was there's none of this. If you're alone, you could die. No, you're right. I mean, they're perfectly safe, aren't they? And there's no one trying to separate them either. Like in Murder and Small Sonics, we often had no. Dudley come and say, we need you to come here, come there. Mm -hmm. But in this, there's not even that opportunity. They've just worked that out. I've put, if either of these two get voted off this week, it'll be tragic. They've worked bloody hard. Oh, I, at this point, 
when they're digging, I was like, they need to pass. Yeah. This is where we get onto the evening briefing where Mel is on her own, or the only woman, because Nick and Meryl are both digging in the graveyard. Every time Mel speaks, we get a cutaway of Mervyn's facial expressions. Oh, this is horrendous. Yeah, I think it's in anticipation of him being voted by Mel later on. She asks them who their prime suspects are and laughs when she says Andrew's name. So she said, oh, we'll start with Andrew and has a little laugh. He then calls her out. Yeah, he said, he says, don't laugh when you say my name. Yeah. But I thought it was more in the fact she's trying to break the ice and seem sort of up beat it's like a nervous laugh of anything absolutely and i've put all, all these men are pricks and i hope mel merrill or nick win overall like of those three i i've got not got an issue with mel merrill or nick but the others they are horrible andrew suggests that he thinks it's a man who committed the murder but unsure as to whom at the moment the group's body language is disgusting when mel leads the briefing they should all be ashamed and genuinely like if we do a ninth episode of this podcast as we did with murder in small town x then mervyn richard andrew and rory you're exempt from taking part. They're all <laughs> assholes. I don't want them on this show. This feels like we're watching bullying happen. Here. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And she, and I, like, I think maybe back then, this is what people wanted from reality TV. People wanted car crash entertainment. There's a difference between confrontation and bullying. And this is, this is like, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And like, it wouldn't be accepted, I don't think, on no. today's shows or today's standards. I don't think, I or I think it would at least be called out a bit more. Mm-hmm. It's 10.30pm and Meryl has almost single-handedly moved over a ton of soil in two hours. They find a lid of some description. There's what looks like a photo album in a box at the bottom of the grave. Why don't see why Nick isn't digging? <laughs> no, and they talk about it later on. And she's like, oh, it was, it was 50-50. And I'm sure, although she's saying that to be polite, I'm sure he did do some. Yeah, he probably did you some. But... But also like how, uh, how Meryl admits that she believes in ghosts. In the, yeah, middle of a, yeah. in the middle of a graveyard. <laughs> and Nick's and like, don't tell me that. <laughs> Nick shuts her down as quick as he can. I believe in ghosts, you know. <laughs> it's not the time to tell me that. He's absolutely petrified. The next day they have their morning briefing. Chief Bob says the photo album contains a photo of a picnic taking place at Creeksey, the Wilmington house, in 1931. There were also some Polaroids of the old hospital in the fortress, where the two investigators will be heading to play the killer's game later in the episode. What town is this? Like, they've got so much stuff. They've got mills, they've got old hospitals, fortresses. This is great. It's crazy, isn't it? I've got down here, um, at one point, Mervyn, I think they're talking at night in the bedroom, and he says about, like, you can't trust anyone. And he was the one who started that by voting off Sam. This is why I hate Mervyn so much because he loves himself to the point that he's blinded. And I've put later on that he's got no emotional intelligence whatsoever. He's no. socially unaware of himself and, and what's going on around him that he can't see, that he was the catalyst for all this. Yeah. And yeah, Mel's being impolite towards him, but only because of what he caused previously. Because, yeah, he, I mean, yeah, he didn't play the game fairly, did he? At no, all. definitely not. Today, Meryl and Nick are heading to the wake to witness suspect behaviour. Richard and Rory mentioned that Edward was the witness who was telling the truth. Apparently, Jennifer drives a Volvo estate, so that opens up a new line of inquiry. Richard and Rory need to go to Catherine's funeral and chat to Jennifer about the witness statement. Andrew and Mervyn are heading to Creeksea to see if they can get into Alice's room to uncover a secret that Tina mentioned earlier on, something that could change everything. Before they head out, Nick mentions that they need to work as a team today because if the Wilmingtons leave the funeral, they could end up catching Mervyn and Andrew at the house. Again, echoes of murder in Small Town X when Thibodeau was at the funeral. Mm, I thought this was really good. Chronologically, the wake takes place after the other two tracks are completed. So this is slightly out of order, but it doesn't make a difference as to what we find out. Track one, Marilyn and Nick go to the pub 
or the wake, which is taking place in the pub and are approached by Tina and Vanessa with information. Anya has apparently told them that her father had been violent towards Catherine. They don't actually know who the father is, but we can assume she's not talking about Trevor because even he didn't know that he was the father. Tina does mention that Catherine was seeing Dean before she died, so perhaps that's who Anya is thinking is her dad. Track two, Richard and Rory head to the funeral. They need to confront Jennifer to find out if she did drop Catherine off at the church on the day of her murder. Their hidden test isn't disclosed to us, which... I much, much prefer in that we get told there's a hidden test, but we don't get told what it is. We can assume because later on we do find out that it's the, they need to make sure that they phone ahead to the people undertaking the search at the Wilmington house, but at least they don't disclose that to us. Dean is back having recovered from his overdose in an earlier episode. I love this track particularly because they are at the funeral with all seven suspects. So one of those that they are in the room or not in the room with, but by the graveside with is the killer. We just don't know who is at the moment. We see the vicar reading the sermon. He's no Reverend Rusty Crandall, is he? As the mourners leave the graveside, Richard and Rory speak with Jennifer. George Howick looks on in the background and Trevor the builder tries to poke his nose in too. Jennifer says she feels embarrassed because she had a row on the way to the church about the music she was going to play at the wedding. She stops talking to them because she receives a phone call from Felicity, who is ringing about the investigators being at her house, i.e. track three. I don't like Jennifer. She's dodgy as far as I'm concerned. And is there something going on between her and Trevor the Builder because they're awfully close aren't they I reckon so Richard and Rory try to call Mervyn and Andrew to give them a heads up but the phone doesn't work and that's amazing could you you couldn't plan that I I think producers might have done it on purpose maybe they changed the number in the phone or something I don't know but that is just too suspect wasn't it it was good we'll move on to track three now as the next part of this track it all merges together so we'll go into track three because at the same time as track two is happening the others are in Jennifer's house having a route around for Alice's room so we'll move on to track three and then the two will merge a bit later on. Felicity, she's agoraphobic, meaning she doesn't go out the house and didn't want to go to the funeral. Mervyn and Andrew joke on the way about going all in and wiping her out. I couldn't even bring myself to laugh about it. What's saying about they're going to kick the door down and stuff? Yeah, I hated that. Yeah, no, same. Because it's not like it's not like they're going to go to another man's like a big man's house. Do you know what I mean? And it's like this intimidation factor. Instead, it is it's this elderly woman. You know what I mean? Was Andrew taking the piss when he said he had size four feet? I don't think he was. No, like there's no thing about shoe size or anything like that. But they're like, oh, my size nines and your size sixes. Is it size six? And Andrew says, or four. very small and I've put now they're small and small but that is remarkably small we're told that there's a hidden test during this task but not told what it is just that they need to act according to their training again I love that I love that we're not being spoon fed what the hidden tests are Andrew and Mervyn ask Felicity about Alice's room and Felicity says she doesn't know where the key is she looks around for it though and eventually finds it I like the fact she's just stringing them along yeah just t- killing that time you know because they know that they, they know they're like against the clocker slightly and this is what all obviously is edited quite well with the funeral but you don't know how close it actually was they take the key from Felicity who mentions that it has a peacock on it like the one in her mother's necklace not sure if that's going to come into it or not. I hope it does come back because I, I I think I've put what an awesome key mother's necklace I love that sort of stuff yeah well, it's brilliant because it's, it's a throwaway comment that could also come back but yeah much like the contact lenses and stuff like that yeah, and that key is very unique mm. you know and is there something to do with the peacock or I don't know it'd be good if it was you know so yeah they, they take the key and they hoon it upstairs when they get in it's got your typical national trust feel to it it's preserved in time it's a bit like finders keepers with neil buchanan when they search high and low for clues
and I put Funhouse initially, and I had to go back and think it wasn't Funhouse where they used to destroy the rooms. It was Finders Keepers. But all this, uh, all that fake cobwebs. Yeah, like the really bad cobwebs yeah. strung all over the place. Felicity is suspicious throughout and ends up ringing Jennifer. This is where the two tracks merge. Mervyn and Andrew find a hidden panel in a wall and completely unaware that Jennifer is on her way back. Richard and Rory are still struggling for their phone to connect. Behind the panel in the wall is a dead baby. What the fuck? That was creepy, wasn't it? <laughs> what it just... So I put, and, and this is prior to, I wrote this prior to finding out what happens later on, but I've put, surely the way they behave now, this is now a crime scene, right? And that as they are police, they should be doing something about it. Jennifer could easily come and just remove all the evidence. They take a photo of the baby in its pram and make a swift getaway. Jennifer and Trevor pull up to the house, but Mervyn and Andrew are already gone. Back at HQ, Mervyn explains what he found at the house, and Mel looks completely disinterested when he talks. So they've probably found the most interesting find of the series, so series far. Yeah. and she couldn't give a shit. And I don't blame her. I do not blame her. That coming out of anyone else's mouth, I think she'd have took a real interest. The fact it was Mervyn explaining it. She's like, nah, mate. Mel hosts another evening briefing. The group talk over Mel throughout and they're just being rude at this point. But no respect at all for no. her. No, no. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like we say, it's bullying and just the lack of respect. Yeah, and what winds me up about it is that she is the victim. Like, they are all acting as though it's her problem, but no, they're the reason that she, you know, has, has been hostile, say, towards Mervyn, but she is trying her best. I think... It, the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she's 21 means that they just think that they can piss all over her and, and they're just horrible people. Awful. And, that, and that little uh, scene there, like she tries to talk. It happens so many times. And, and then they will talk over her. It's not like they are talking and she's trying to talk. There's a low in conversation. She'll try and speak and then they'll just speak for the sake of it. Exactly. Speaking for the sake of it. Mervyn saying, okay, you've got... I don't think, yeah, I think the birth certificate, I think, just sorry to cut you in there, but... No, you, you didn't have a point there. You were doing it because just because Mel was going to speak exactly yeah. it comes to light though during that conversation that the dead baby could be linked to the birth certificate that Chief Bob presented at the start of the episode the boys are talking in the bedroom later on Mervyn clearly doesn't get that he's the reason that Mel is hating on him so much since he cast Sam out last week the next morning we have the final briefing with Chief Bob doesn't this normally happen at night now this is all over the place I got so confused because they're talking in the bedroom aren't they Mervyn's talking at night because they're in bed talking across the room we then see HQ, there's not a time on the splash screen night that normally is. Yeah. So we don't know when it is, but there's daylight. So you imagine it's the next morning because they've already gone to bed. And then when we see the officers that he said, because they've now set up the crime scene because of the dead baby at the Wilmington house, that's then night again. So it's just, I think it's the way it's been cut or the way it's been edited. They've screwed up a little bit. Yeah. Not that it makes any difference. It just, I was just so lost when I was writing up my notes in order. The teams now find out whether or not they've passed or failed. Marilyn Nick did well and passed all their lines of inquiry. We knew that was coming. Marilyn has proven herself again and is praised by Chief Bob. Nick gets called out for doing less of the grave digging, but it's a really nice moment. And actually, Chief Bob's having a bit of a laugh with them, which I, which I quite like. I'd like to know who dug the majority of the soil out of the grave. <laughs> It was, it was a very e no. It was it equal. Was. We we took I it in did the shifts. Top, she did the, we the, did the hand digging. <laughs> shifts. I understand you did most of the donkey work, Meryl, while uh, Nick <laughs> Nick supervised. 
Richard and Rory did well to establish which of the witness statements was correct and behaved appropriately at the funeral. I say they did well. I would say they, they, I mean, they passed, but it was... They had the easiest job. They had the easiest job. Andrew and Mervyn did well on both days. However, they didn't treat the room with the dead baby as a crime scene. This has worked out perfectly as now they have failed their lines of inquiry. I was so pleased with that result. Yeah. First time we see Mel smile all episode is when Mervyn and Andrew are up for the vote. And I'm loving this. Voting takes place and Andrew is playing the killer's game. I put, I put it's only fair they both go. Yes, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, with Mel as, as lead investigator, they were always both going to go for the killer's game anyway, weren't they? Yeah, I think you're right. When Meryl votes, she votes for Andrew, and, but she also says that she doesn't like being teacher's pet, but appreciates the praise, because she's been called out in both episodes, in the last two episodes, as being the best investigator. Do you think she's worried then that they vote against her for that? I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think she's starting to see that by getting all that praise, people will see her as a threat and vote yeah. tactically, vote her off. Definitely. When Andrew votes... He puts himself down, saying that he probably doesn't deserve to return. He knows that he's the weakest of the uh, of the contestants. He's flipping coins at this point as well, because he's been like, this, this is the third time Andrew's going out, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's got, his luck's got to run out at some point. <laughs> Mel now chooses who she wants to send to play the killer's game. She says it's been a difficult decision and gives credit to all the investigators and ends up sending Mervyn to play the killer's game. He doesn't look happy at all, but you made your bed, mate. Yeah. Mervyn is going to the fortress. Andrew is going to the hospital. And my notes now say, let's hope they both get killed. Although yeah. I think I'd prefer Andrew to come back over Mervyn, though. We see the night vision footage as they search for the killer clue or await their fate at the hands of the killer. There's more, way more happening this time with props being moved and bodies in the hospital and stuff. Saying that, I, I had to rewind it. And Andrews, there's someone in a body bag that moves. There's a whole body bag. I didn't 100%. see that. I saw the body hanging, like the, the moving. Oh, and I, I watched it about three times. There's a body bag on a bed, right? And there has to be someone in there. That's how much is moving. That's incredible. And I'm thinking, how's that not being mentioned? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's so much banging and, and jump scares and stuff and I loved it because normally this this goes on a little bit too long but in this sense they upped the level on it really and you heard a few fucks in there as well like oh Andrew yeah he was good yeah, for it yeah, they were. yeah fucking hell oh what his comment when he comes back yeah does show how bad it is to go on the killer's game yeah and he's done it three times now I just really wish we could have seen it in better quality because that was a really good uh, mm -hmm. five minute segment anyway Andrew returns really pleased with that even though I don't necessarily like him that much I'm just I just Mervyn was the worst person in there so glad Mervyn's gone and I'm also glad that Mel didn't vote for Andrew. So there shouldn't be any vendetta between Andrew and Mel because no. she's the only person... She voted for Mervyn exactly. and he went, so... Yeah, yeah, that's the best thing that could have happened. We see a preview of next week's episode. Felicity tells them more about the dead baby. More investigators call get called out at night. And Richard clashes with the next lead investigator. I honestly can't wait. So if Rich clashes, clashes with the next lead investigator, Mervyn's went. Yeah. The lead investigator for next week is Andrew. Yeah, I've put that. Andrew will be picked by Mervyn because of how close they were in the smoking shelters and stuff like that. Yeah. With that then, who will Andrew vote for next week? If he's the lead investigator, who do you think he'll send to their death because there's every risk oh, that he will Mel. send Meryl or Mel. Mel. He's sending yeah. Mel. So he'll send Mel. He's got some sort of weird loyalty, I think. But also he mentions, he does. He has got a, I don't think he's got the bottle to vote for a man. I really don't. No, no, because he wants to be part of the gang. Yeah. Okay, so that's who Mervyn will pick as the next lead investigator and who he'll probably pick next week. 
Who's the killer? I'm going to go with Jay. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to at this point. I think I'm going with Jay, yeah. So I've gone with Jay for quite, a, you know, se- several weeks in a row, but I'm actually starting to move towards two trains of thought now. Jennifer, because of okay. what's going on with the Wilmington household. But now I've got a new theory. Seeing how close Jennifer is with Trevor the Builder, Ooh. he almost seems a bit of a lapdog around her. It could be Trev. Yeah. What if she had that argument in the church and it wasn't about music? The door was slammed because she found the dead baby and all this, that and the other. And then Jennifer's then gone back to see Trevor and say, I need your help with something. And Trevor's gone off to take revenge, not knowing that he is the father of Anya. And that when it came, as a, that's why it came as such a surprise when he was in the antique store the other day. Could be completely wrong. We still have no idea. That's good shape though. Theory, in it? And who do you want to win? Mel. Yep, all day. I've got no issue if Meryl or Nick win, but Mel for me, number one, please. They should yeah. be the top three, shouldn't they? Mel, Meryl and Nick. Yeah, should definitely be probably the top in that three. order at the moment as well. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, M- Meryl's clearly shown herself. She's she's grown in herself massively. You think what she was yeah. like that first or second episode? Definitely. And what she's like now. Yeah, and that's it. Good episode. Genuinely a good episode. I can't wait to get on to the next one. If you're still with us, thanks for listening. Come and tell us what you think. We're at Presents Jam on Twitter. Join us next time as we head to an old people's home, celebrate Mel's birthday, and watch the vicar have an asthma attack. Oh, and if you were disappointed that we played the Finders Keepers theme tune over the Funhouse one earlier, we got you. Messy games, the fun car Grand Prix race, and a crazy chase to win lots of prizes. Now here's the guy who puts the fun into Funhouse, Pat Sharp!